1 Samuel chapter 10, we're picking it up with verse 9. From the previous eight verses, what did we see? We saw Samuel anointed Saul king, anointed him king, and we made note that as he even said that, it was pointing that, has not the Lord anointed you over his inheritance? Emphasizing that this is from the Lord, and it's, you know, the Lord is giving what is his to be ruling over, to lead. And then Samuel gave Saul, guided by the Lord, told by the Lord to do this, gave him three signs to really confirm this anointing as king. The first of those signs was that Samuel, Saul would go on his way and he would meet some people and they would immediately tell him that the donkeys had been found again. But now his father is worried about him to return back home. The next is that he would meet some other people and those people would, heading up to go worship, would give Saul some of their food. And then the last one is that as Saul is on his way, he would come across a procession of prophets and the spirit of the Lord would come upon him and Saul would join that procession. The last thing that Samuel then tells Saul is that before he goes, he's then to go down ahead of him to Gilgal and wait. Wait for Samuel to come to present offerings, present sacrifices. And that's where we pick it up here then in verse 9. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. When he and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in their prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, What is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? A man who lived there answered, And who is their father? So it became a saying, Is Saul also among the prophets? After Saul stopped prophesying, he went to the high place. And so simply, God just says, all these signs were fulfilled that day. Samuel has already laid it out to Saul exactly what was going to happen from the place to the number of people to what they were going to say to what they were going to give and what they were going to do. And then all these signs were fulfilled that day. No more comments about the donkeys. Nothing more about the food. But we do get a little bit more about that prophesying. We do get to see that one play out a bit. We had mentioned at the end of last time that phrase there, God changed Saul's heart. Let's not overlook those simple words. A lot's packed in there. It's what God said he would do. He said he, through Samuel that he would change him into a different person. That the spirit comes on and really now strengthened to trust what God has said, what he has promised. Change him into a different person. We see that in a unique way here with Saul is, okay, he's going to come upon him to prophesy. The power of God is, at, is on display, sometimes visibly, through Saul prophesying, but also just we get to see the invisible. We get to see, as God proclaims, his heart was changed. He comes to that procession of prophets, and there you have the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him. What's the reaction from those who see? People who had known Saul, they look, What's going on? What's he doing? Who is this guy and what happened to Saul? <laughs> because Saul is not one to be prophesying. That's not his background. That's not his experience. He doesn't have that kind of 
training, in no way would we have expected it. This is the son of Kish. The son of Kish. When we saw him going looking for his father's donkeys, yeah, that's okay. We know that. But not prophesying. Is Saul also among the prophets? And then follow up there, someone who lived there, and who is their father? What is, what is this man when he says, who is their father? What is he suggesting? There's maybe a few different things to consider here. A few different things to think about. What's one option that this man could be saying by who is their father? They're referring to the prophets. It perhaps could be a situation of saying, okay, this is something that ran in the families. I mean, after all, we see God using different families for different purposes. The Levites are the ones he set aside as priests. And so perhaps that it's okay, this kind of school and connection to prophecy, it was a kind of a family business that it was passed on. Well, who is their father, these prophets, saying he's not Kish? Their father is not Kish. It could also be thinking less biologically, but more spiritually, that, okay, they would have a spiritual father. You think of someone like Samuel that would have been the one instructing. And then seeing that it's not really so much what's in your blood, but recognizing there too it's more the experience and the training and the guidance from a a prophet, a different leader instructing them. And then the question there, who is their father? Almost pointing to and saying, what connection would Saul have had to this prophet leader? What connection to someone like Samuel? Anyways, the conclusion comes to the same, that you get this saying, is Saul also among the prophets? What does that phrase mean? Have you heard of that, maybe that phrase before or something similar? What's the, what's the saying mean? Is Saul also among the prophets? Seems like you're doubting whether he's among the prophets. Okay, perhaps, as you mentioned, maybe a doubt. Um, what is this Saul? What is he doing? What's going on? Maybe just the concept acting out of character, acting very much out of character. And this, you say, a very unique way that it's not just, okay, being something completely different than you normally are in that appearance, but a complete change of who you are. It kind of gets to that expression, all of a sudden, someone you know well is not acting the way you expect them to act. In fact, maybe they're doing something that really surprises you in a positive way. Um, maybe you can think of the scenario of you know, you had a family and parents all of a sudden hear one of their kids being really polite. And so, and in a, in a setting, and now, not that they think they wouldn't want their child to be polite, but they also know that their child is a sinner and they know that well, full well with raising their child. Who is this and what did you do with my, my kid? Is Saul also among the prophets? Who is this and what did you do with Saul? Because this is not the Saul we know at all. There is nothing that would have ever given reason to think that Saul would be joined them. The people around did not know what Samuel had said. Saul knew. Saul knew. Remember, not even Saul's servant. Samuel dismissed Saul's servant. Only Saul knew. The people around only observed. But what do you note with what they observed? It grabbed their attention. It caused them to ask questions. What's going on here? When the Spirit works, oh, it may not be because not having necessarily always the word that proclaimed, to pinpoint exactly, well, this is what God is doing exactly right here. But when God works, it is evident, isn't it? You do see it. And sometimes it's just the 
causing to ask questions. Is Saul also among the prophets? Please. Thank you. That's a good question. Really asking for clarification. What does it mean that Saul was among the prophets that he was prophesying? Um, the f- saying itself, maybe clarification, is not saying, oh, Saul has now become a prophet. The saying is, well, he was doing prophet things. But then the question there too, what does Saul do after that? I think you were alluding to as well. And so take note here, it says, after Saul stopped prophesying, then he went up to the high place. Certainly, as we all can, Saul could go privately in prayer, speak to God. You know, that's something that God has poured out a blessing upon us to do it. He is not going to go now and function as a prophet from here on out. This was a unique kind of one-time thing just as God had revealed to him through Samuel. It's in fact that Saul gets in trouble later for acting like a prophet, acting like a priest. Um, and so, really, Saul's prophesying is a special circumstance, just this. What was that prophesying? Um, Remember, too, when we talk about prophesying, it can include foretelling things of the future, but that's not what all prophesying is. It simply could be proclaiming God's word. And so in that way, you think of, okay, the school of prophets, well, how do you be taught to tell the future? That, That doesn't really work like that. But you could be taught and instructed in what God has said to then proclaim it. And you think of that, maybe you can see the modern parallels as, okay, we still instruct. God's people to be able to know God's word to proclaim it. Not all necessarily in the same kind of role, okay, like prophets of publicly representing, but you see we do that as well with the public ministry. Any other questions or comments before we move on? Verse 14, now Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, where have you been? Looking for the donkeys, he said. But when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, tell me what Samuel said to you. Saul replied, he assured us that the donkeys had been found, but he did not tell his uncle of what Samuel had said about the kingship. So Saul makes his way and now has his first, you'd say, close conversation with someone after all this has happened. Oh, he had talked to people along the way, but not really inquiring about what's been going on. And so he's talking to his uncle. And obvious question, where have you been? Why aren't you home yet? What's going on? What took you so long? And Saul just simply recounts what's happened. We went looking for the donkeys. We couldn't find them, so we went to Samuel. Okay. All of a sudden, the uncle then has a comment there. Samuel. What, um, what Saul maybe didn't, when he heard the word name Samuel, didn't really think twice about it when the servant suggested. It was more, okay, well, how does this even work? Don't we have to bring a gift? Clearly, the uncle knows who Samuel is. Because he says, now tell me what Samuel said to you. What did the man of God say to you? We went to go find the donkeys. We don't really know. We don't really aren't really told what this uncle is thinking as he asks. But he is curious. He does want to know what Samuel said. Evaluate Saul's response. Did Saul tell his uncle what Samuel said? Partly. That's what I heard. Partly. Yeah, you, you say, yes, he did. He told him that he assured us the donkeys had been found. That's true. He did not tell him everything. Was that wrong of Saul to do that? Maybe you think of the phrase, speak the whole truth, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Was it wrong of Saul not to tell his uncle? Does it have to do with waiting the seven days? 
Good question there. Does that have something to do with Samuel? It said, wait seven days until he comes. Perhaps that's something Saul is keeping in mind. Samuel had given him specific instructions. Now, nowhere do we find here that Samuel told Saul, don't tell anyone. But perhaps as you kind of see the situation, how it unfolded, there seems to be external signs and kind of saying, this is not meant for everyone right now. He dismissed his servant. Privately, Samuel and Saul talked and gave this, these signs. And then said, okay, wait, I'm going to be coming. Other thoughts? Please. Yeah, you think about these things. We try to process, realize these all happen, bam, 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 right after the other. And maybe Saul is just simply at a loss of words even. At a loss, uh, what were we doing? Uh, he told us the donkeys we found. I mean, after all, that's how Saul had started saying, what were you doing? We were looking for the donkeys. And he said they'd be found. He assured us that. You can perhaps understand and think, well, maybe the uncle's wondering, if he told you that, what took you so long to get back here? You're still gone a long time. Other thoughts? Was it right for Saul to say what he did? Please. Good. You, the comment there that it shows his humility, I think it does absolutely, that he's not going to go and all of a sudden say, I'm the next king. That's what Samuel said. It's the humility of Saul, perhaps even the still unsure for himself, I don't know if I'm ready for this. I don't know if I'm ready for this. That let's just see what happens. Let's not draw more attention to myself than already is because I'm late getting back home looking for donkeys. If you can remember, too, what a few of the other words that Samuel had said to Saul before he led him on his way. From verse 7. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hands find to do, for God is with you. Okay, Samuel makes direct mention about his hands, but really there, that encouragement, go and make decisions, do what seems good. God is with you. And so now, all of a sudden, he's in the situation. He did not ask for the situation, and how often isn't that the case with our lives? We don't ask for things to come up, to be asked about things. But you're now all of a sudden in the situation, and you got to make a decision. And so it's weighing out what God has told us and seeking to make what we can determine as the most God-pleasing response. Samuel had given Saul encouragement in that. God is with you. And so... As his uncle asks, he, he doesn't just dismiss, he doesn't ignore, he doesn't lie. Saul did not lie here. He said, he assured me the donkeys. But also recognizing this other information isn't for my uncle to know right now. Not being deceptive. I'm not hiding. But that was information that God had given through Samuel to me at this time, and Samuel said that he's going to come and meet me. That's a good question. If he had told him, would his uncle believe him? I don't know. I don't know. I, I like to try to, always try to put myself in their shoes and think, okay, if someone had told me that, would I believe him? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> but I mean, you try to look at the piece and say, okay, well, Samuel had already met with everyone. They'd already said, okay, God is going to give you a king. So you at least said that. It didn't come out of left field, that idea of a king. But 
to me, if someone were to say, I'd say, how proud and arrogant of you to think that. Who, who are you? Not so much to say, it's all among the prophets, but who do you think you are? <laughs> and so perhaps you see some wisdom from Saul in that as well, that, you know what? If this is God's will, let God reveal it in his way, not by me going and proclaiming it. The Spirit of the Lord has come on Saul. He's changed his heart. He's changed his heart. And so you see the power at work. Please. Okay, you're looking at Saul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Yeah, so that's a different one. And we had pointed out last time, we've been showing some different examples. How It's a wonderful comparison there. It's a wonderful comparison. Perhaps maybe a point of comparison here is the opposite. Yep, the opposite. You see the humility of Saul here, and we mentioned that inverse. The humility of Saul here before he becomes king. You saw the pride of Saul in the New Testament before he became apostle. And then you see the inverse. The inverse, that King Saul, that humility, it disappears. He is filled with pride. And the Apostle Paul, how humble he is now as he goes and serves the Lord, as he goes and travels to proclaim the gospel. And what do you see? Maybe it's common though. We see them as okay being inverses. But what is the similarity between the two? They're both serving God. And what's the similarity between their humility? It happened at different times. God changed their hearts. God changed their hearts. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon them. The Spirit is working. And that's, you know, what he say, you know, a fruit of the Spirit, being humble. Being humble. It comes from the Spirit. It comes from the Spirit. And so as we seek to grow in that humility ourselves, well, who do we turn to? We turn to the Spirit. We turn to God's Word, to the sacraments where the Spirit works. Now as we move on, it's time to publicly announce this. Um, it's coronation time for Saul. It does not take away anything from him being anointed, but that was a very private event of God declaring this, you are the next king, to personally, to Saul. Now it's time to publicly recognize and seat him on the throne. And it begins with verse 17. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. And you have said, no, appoint a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. Samuel gathers the people. He gathers the people, and what does he tell them? Again. It's not the first time they're hearing this. Saying, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. The Lord has delivered you from Egypt, from all the kingdoms that oppressed you, but you have rejected. What we're doing here today is because of your rejection of God. That's what Samuel says to them. Because you insist on having a king instead of letting God be your king. You want an earthly representative. Why bother? Why bother telling them this again? And maybe to take a note too, Samuel doesn't just tell them this by the words he proclaims. He's also telling them this by the location they meet. They meet at Mizpah. It was not too long ago that Samuel had assembled all the people at Mizpah. 
All you have to do is page back a few chapters, and if you find yourself in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 5, then Samuel said, assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. Samuel had gathered them there, and when they were there, it was they were going to turn away from idols. But it's at that time that the Philistines all then came because they saw them all gathered there and said, we'll attack them. And what happened? The Lord delivered them from the kingdom that oppressed them. From the disaster, from the calamity. Samuel was offering sacrifices. And God just brought chaos among the Philistines and destroyed them. Here is a visible reminder for the people. As we gather here, it is the Lord who has delivered. Don't you remember? Don't you remember? Why bother doing all this? Why bother telling them this again? Why bother showing them this all? They aren't going to listen. Why would God even tell Samuel to go and proclaim this to them again? He knows they're not. It's a call, a call to repent, is it not? A call to repent that you could turn and say, We were wrong. No, let the Lord be our king. But he knows they're not going to. He knows he's already anointed Saul. Why bother? Why not? Why not? Is this not another display of God's mercy and grace? That even when he knows sinners are going to continue in sin, he still calls out. He still calls out. Time and time again, he does not turn his back upon his people. Question of time frame chronology here. Um, From Moses in the Red Sea to the time now here of Saul being king. Well, um, I'll try to keep you some nice round numbers. If you want some really round numbers, you think 1500 B.C. for Moses and then about 1,000 for David, so we're a little bit before that. So I would say you're probably safe about guessing about, it's about 400 years, about 400 years. Um, Question about age, how long they lived. Um, They did not live really much longer, sometimes actually less than lifespan today. Um, as God writes in the Psalms already, 70 years or 80, they have the strength. I mean, that's coming from that kind of time period. You remember from the wilderness, all those who were over 40 would die in the wilderness. And so you look at that time frame, they were out there for 40 years. Okay, that's the oldest of them would have been 80. Um, it, yeah, H was not really different. So it's, I'd say kind of the same kind of generational turnover as we would see today. This is an act of God's grace to continue to pour out, to continue even when he knows what's in the people's hearts. Because remember in all this, even in him giving a king, it is his love that he is acting upon in giving it to them, in fulfilling their request, knowing that, you know what, it's not going to be what they, everything they hope for. But this is how he can show love to turn them back. This is part of him turning them back of still reaching out even when you anticipate the response is going to be rejection. And I think that as we see God acting, and really it's always his grace that moves us in how we live, how we serve. But what an important lesson I think we can find here. That God who knew they would not heed this call. He knew how they respond, he still did it anyways in love. How often there can be things in our life where we think we know 
how people are going to respond. We think we know. And how easy it is then to say, why bother? They're not going to listen anyways. I've told them time and time again. Why bother? Why not? Why not? Here, it's the love we get to show reflecting the love of God because how easy it would be to say to us, why bother? They're going to keep sinning. They're not going to listen. But he does. And that's his love. Questions or comments here? You're emphasizing God's persistence with his people. And now then, too, that's what we should be reflecting. Our persistence with others. And you can think about, I mean, regarding, okay, relationship with God and other people, how we want to encourage that in a number of ways. One, okay, someone that we haven't seen in worship for a while, or we just don't simply know if they're connected. Reach out to them. Ask them. Might you think you know what the response is going to be? Yep, and it might even be that. But here's the reason why we bother. Um, someone who doesn't have any connection that you know of to church, or someone maybe the actually you do know they don't, or with connection. Why bother? Well, they're not going to be interested. They're too busy. We can come up with tons and tons of excuses as to why we shouldn't. And those are just things we think we know. God, when he knows, he still bothers. That's his love. It's the eternal love of God, the eternal love of God for their eternity. And so you, we keep reaching out. We keep reaching out. Even when you think what you know is the response going to be, even when it turns out that that is what the response. Well, okay. That doesn't mean that that response now stops you from doing it again another time. Continuing on, verse 20. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, Yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. In just these few verses here, we have some unique ways of God communicating with his people, don't we? Samuel has gathered them all there. And what is the process looking like? He's having them come forward by tribe by tribe, and they're casting lots. And so it's, everyone knows we are here here now to have our next king, for God to show that to us. And so how do they do it? They cast lots. They cast lots. Um, This is likely the Urim and the Thummim from the high priests. So God had given that, we see that in Exodus 28, that the high priest is supposed to be part of his garments, and it was specifically to inquire of the Lord in making decisions. And so, what does it seem like this is? Well, you've got two there, the Urim and the Thummim. And it's a simple a yes or no kind of thing. That God, God, through his servant that he has designated, high priest, would use these. And whichever one got picked was the one of God giving his decision of a yes or a no. And so, can you imagine here now that as Samuel brings the tribe, Samuel functions as priest, that tribe by tribe, they come by, and it's picking one out, and whichever one is picked, not looking, not trying to determine the outcome, but God is giving the answer of the tribe of Reuben goes by, and it's a no. The tribe of Simeon, no. The tribe of Judah, no. And you get the tribe of Benjamin, and that's the yes. That's the yes. Um, Urim and Thummim. Urim 
means curses. Thumim kind of means perfection. And so that's where you take the curses probably was the no, the perfection, the yes. We don't have a whole lot of information about this, but we do see kind of, okay, this is how God revealed and gave answers to his people. Not the only way, but this is one of the unique ways that God, and you see it there really, okay, it's a very formal way and very official and important, okay, regarding who is going to be the next king here. Who is going to serve? Um, You see this coming up again as far as this casting of lots. It comes up not too far later in 1 Samuel. um, 1 Samuel chapter 14 when we have a different kind of incident of an incident of someone sinning and to determine who was the one who sinned. Um, We have it later coming up in 2 Samuel when David is seeking a decision of the Lord as well. Casting lots, that does show up elsewhere in Scripture as well. Um, Perhaps maybe the one we're most familiar with is casting lots comes in the New Testament in the book of Acts when the disciples, the apostles, are now choosing a replacement for Judas. And in Acts chapter 1, what do we see is that they identify two qualified individuals based upon, okay, their time with Jesus and what they've witnessed. Um, The note there that, okay, it had to be a witness of the resurrection. And they have these two qualified individuals, so how do you pick? You cast lots. You put it into God's hands. Does it seem irresponsible in some ways? Well, pick a name out of a hat. Does it seem irresponsible that it's left up to chance to do it this way? Nobody gets blamed that way, okay? So maybe perhaps you recognize it takes away the human bias. Takes away human bias. Okay, Lord, your will be done. God's going to be And maybe you didn't recognize too, like especially for this situation, this is the specific way God had given them to do this. And so they're the trust and confidence. God told us and gave us his way that he will reveal to us and so you don't need to go into cast it out, well, really, was it the right one, or did it just happen to get picked? Well, God said he community. It's a promise of God. Question, please. Okay, you're looking here now, you see it, and a good point here made, that you see in verse 22 that God, the Lord, says yes, confirming that that Saul is here, also that not just confirms he's there, but confirms he is the one to be chosen. He is the one to be chosen. Uh, Interesting question here, yeah. It says, so they inquired further of the Lord. Has the man come here yet? No, okay, how might that be? Well, it's a yes or no question. Maybe it was the exact same thing. They inquired further of the Lord using that Orman Thurman. But that being said, what do we say? It's not just... The Lord said yes, because he could have communicated yes through that, but he gave more information. Yes, he has come here. He has hidden himself among the supplies. And your question there, is that spoken to Samuel? Is that spoken to all people? Scripture doesn't necessarily say that. Yeah, and... Yeah, okay, pointing out that Sam is the one called, Sam is the one who's speaking on behalf of God. And I would, I would say generally, I think the context would lean itself that way. And maybe just the point, Scripture is not explicit in saying the Lord spoke to Samuel, this, or the Lord spoke to the people. It doesn't say either one of those. But I, I would gen- generally tend to agree. I think the context would indicate more likely the Lord spoke through his mouthpiece because that's his normal way of operating. That's the way he's been operating. That he would have spoken through Samuel and said to him, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. And then Samuel would have gone on to go and proclaim that to the people. And you can only imagine, too, 
when the Lord has spoken directly to his people. Now, when was the last time that we really see that? I think, you know, you really try to think hard, but it, it may be Mount Sinai. It may be Mount Sinai, when of which the, the people then said, no, talk to Moses, don't talk to us, because it's the thunder, it's the lightning. And so I think there, that would also generally focus and say, he gives an answer. What's implied perhaps here is it, it was through Samuel. Yeah, you recognize there too. This is God's way to tell the people, as you were saying, that even by doing this whole gathering, it wasn't simply, oh, well, I told Samuel, Samuel, just go tell him. No, how God brings his people along to show them as well that even as he speaks through a mouthpiece, that does not mean he's not seeking to interact with all his people. He does want them to see. And so it's even through this thing, even saying, okay, yep, we, we do it lot by lot. Did Samuel need that? The lot by lot? He knew already. He already knew. But it's for the people that they do this. I mean, Samuel could have told them, well, yep, I know as I'm going to pick this out, what is it going to be? It's going to fall to Benjamin. It's going to fall to Machi. It's going to fall to Kish. It's going to fall to Saul. But it's for the people so that they could see very clearly this is from the Lord. And now the Lord even goes further in showing, yep, and as you look around, where is he? Well, I'll tell you where he is. Did I see another hand, another comment? Please. Yeah. You, you said, yeah, the people, yeah, you're going to choose a king, you're going to have one, but it's going to be the one I've chosen for you. I've chosen for you. And they're going to confirm and consent, not that their consent was needed from, for God, but they are going to really embrace Saul as king as well. Maybe a question I wanted to throw your way. They, they, uh, they cast lots for God to show them. What do you think about if we'd cast lots today for making decisions? That's some good points there. Was it always through the Urim and Thummim? Um, or was it other ways? You have the apostles there, and was it then they did it and then communicated through them? And then you also have, as you mentioned there, okay, you had the Roman soldiers casting lots for Jesus' garments. So it was not just a Jewish thing, this whole idea of casting lots. What is it? I, I think when you think about rolling dice, there's some similarities. Um, looking historically, it may seem like sometimes there's colored stones, that you would pick stones and have them in a basket or whatever container and there'd be a um, different colored stone and where that fell or that was picked. Um, maybe think of drawing straws and whatever, short straws, things like, so I mean, we can kind of relate to, I mean, you do see evidence of things like sticks and stones being used. Um, the Urim and the Thummim was unique in that way and so that one really would have been limited as far as, okay, it's connected to the high priest using. But you do see it casting lots in other ways. It does not mention that the apostles would have been doing that. They wouldn't have been gathering as far as the high priest. Jesus is their high priest. He's our high priest. Um, so then what do the casting lots look like? It does vary. And I think you see, even as it varies in time, God is using it. And maybe even to make a note, as you see the Roman soldiers using the casting lots, we recognize that even that, God's will is being done, isn't it? Not necessarily in, oh, who got what part or who got the garment, but the fact that he had prophesied they would cast lots for his clothing. Would it be okay for us to cast lots today? Yeah, you think about our call process and when we extend calls and voting for that, and there are a lot of similarities there that, okay, what can we say similar to like the apostles? These are qualified individuals. These are qualified individuals that we have that now are trying to choose from. Well, how do you choose? How do you choose? Well, there's a lot of things you're weighing up, but once again, we don't necessarily know a whole lot about them. It's not an interview process. That's not what this is. It's, these are qualified individuals, and now you're going to extend a call to serve 
a divine call. God is sending a call through his church, through us, to serve. And so we are asking God's blessings that he would really also, okay, it's his call to direct us to extend the call, and it's going to be his will. And now you see in that process too whether someone, whether God leads someone to accept or also God's will is done because God will place his servants in the spots at the times that he wants for his purpose. Could we cast lots for that instead of voting? But yeah, I don't think there'd be anything wrong with it simply there because you recognize, okay, that the choice is between good. The choice between good and recognize that you know, God's will is going to be done. We could do that. Do we have to do that? No. God hasn't given us a specific kind of promise like he did with the Urim and Thummim that, okay, this is how you are to approach. We, guided by his word, as we seek to do his will, we can essentially take a consensus among the group of, okay, asking God's blessing, knowing that we are saying it is divine. God is calling them through his church and God's will will be done. Questions or comments on the showing, the revealing of Saul as king. Let's finish it up then. So they inquired of the Lord. He said, yes, hidden among the supplies. Verse 23, they ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among, the pe- among all the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king. Long live the king. They find him hiding among the baggage. They ran and brought him out among the, su- among the supplies. So you see the eagerness and excitement of the people. Their response to this. And how easy could it have been, well, what kind of king is this? He's not even here, or he's hiding. No, there's a, this is the one whom the Lord has chosen. Let's get him. Let's get him. And they look at him, and Samuel points it out. There's none like this. Look, he, he looks the part. He looks the part standing a head taller than all the others. And the people, long live the king. Praise God that you have given us this man to be, your, to be our king. That we, we ask for your blessing. We stand by him to serve him as he serves us. And isn't that too our response that whenever God places someone as his representative in our lives. And we look at that too, really, all across the board, whether you're talking in church, whether you're talking in government, whether you're talking in homes or in the job, in the workplace. If this is God, who God has placed, praise God for it. Long live whatever the position title. And that. God has blessed us and we'll stand by to submit, to serve as God has put this person there to be a blessing to serve us. Verse 25, Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship. He wrote them down in a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people to go to their own towns. Samuel explains the kingship again, okay, here are the rules. This is how it can be followed. We had seen him mention those things already before when they first came asking. We had looked at Deuteronomy chapter 17 and to kind of refresh and review what were the things that God, already through Moses, about 400 years before, had said when they're going to come for a king, well, this is what the king should be and what he should do. And there were some W's that we mentioned and the W's as far as the responsibilities, the duties of the king. No war. No war. The king should not be inciting war. The king is to be bringing peace. God takes care of his people, protects them. 
You're not supposed to be trying to conquer enemy nations. No war. No wealth. Not that God wouldn't bless it. We're going to see him bless it tremendously to his kings. But don't be seeking after it for yourself. No more than one wife. No more than one wife. And then the positive to be in the word that they were to have their own copy of God's word, that they were to meditate, because how important is that if you have the duty of leading God's people, that you have to be grounded firmly, regularly in the word guided, because that is your guide. How can you expect to guide someone else if you aren't being guided by God? Those are the duties. Wrote them down and sends the people home. The celebration is over What a joyous and momentous day it is for Israel. Even as, yes, it comes out of their rejection of their hearts. But it is a milestone here. God has not left being their king, but he has given them an earthly king, the one he has chosen. Not all the people say and sing, long live the king, though. And that's verse 26 and 27. Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. Let's not look past that. Hearts that God has touched. Just as God changed Saul's heart, God has been touching the hearts of his people in this. And those people touched by God, now yes, they are there to support their king. But, verse 27, but some scoundrel said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts. But Saul kept silent. And so already, on the day of him being crowned king, there is opposition. Opposition internally. That some do not stand behind their king. They doubt, they question, and perhaps you can understand to an extent why. Where was he? Hidden among the supplies, the baggage. What kind of king is this? Perhaps it's also just a note too. There are always people who reject what God gives, aren't there? There are are times in our lives where we find ourselves really rejecting what God gives, saying, no, I don't want that. I had a better idea. It would have been better for this person to have been king. Saul begins his reign not with unity among the kingdom, but with the blessing of God touching hearts, his and his own, and with the Spirit's power working in Saul's heart, we're going to see in chapter 11 how Saul is serving as ruler over the Lord's inheritance, how he is going to do what God promised he would and deliver from enemy nations, and how he also guided by the Spirit, deals with opposition. That's next time, 1 Samuel chapter 11. Let us close with prayer. Oh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill our hearts with humility, with humble trusting in the promises you have given us, that we may turn to you with confidence, that we may turn to you in peace, that we may turn to the world around us, reflecting your love in all we say and do. Give us that persistent patience that you so graciously show to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.